Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we talk about what is evolving in FSC and what innovations are underway in FSC. Today, we get to dive into something that I am increasingly stumbling upon in my everyday job, impact data from specific forest areas. What is possible? What could be done? And why do we even need it? Getting impact data from a specific forest area and even potentially tying that to a final product requires data and lots of it. And it requires systems and good systems at that too. But can FSC even get to a point where that kind of data is possible? What would it take? And which kind of partners do we need to get there? That is the topic of this podcast. And to help me learn much more about what is up and down, I've invited Scott McQueen, FSC's Senior Technology Officer, Asker Olison, our Chief Climate and Ecosystem Services Officer, Tara O'Shea, Senior Director for Forest and Land Use at Planet, and William Mosley, Customer Success Manager focused on commercial forestry at Planet. Enough introductions, let's dive into the conversation. Welcome, everyone. There is four of you on the show today, so this has a potential of turning into a really enlightening episode, and I look forward to learning much more about this topic. And I have to admit that it sits right on the edge of something that I feel that I know enough about, so just feel free to jump in or interrupt me if I miss obvious follow-up questions, because you clearly know a lot more about this than I do. Tara, I'd like to start with you first. Can you give us a one-minute rundown of what Planet does and how you work with FSC so that everyone has that kind of background before we dive into the deeper conversation? Uh, so as you mentioned, my name is Tara O'Shea, and I'm joining today from Planet. For those who are not familiar with Planet, we are an integrated aerospace and data analytics company. Our goal is to use space to help life on Earth. So what I mean by that, you know, I tend to say that Planet has a bit of a mantra, and it's that you cannot fix what you cannot see. And that is the small piece of the puzzle that we are trying to help solve through innovative aerospace technologies. So our goal is to image the full Earth every day in order to make global change visible, accessible, and actionable. Uh, today, we own and operate the largest constellation of Earth-observing satellites in human history. But most of these satellites are really quite small. So our goal is to complement, you know, other Earth observation missions with higher spatial and temporal and soon spectral resolutions and data sets. And so we work with FSC and a number of other partners, but specifically the Forest Stewardship Council has pulled together this really great technology consortium to think about how all of these new technologies, not just Earth observation or remote sensing, but also things like cloud computing, machine learning. What does this mean for how we monitor and hopefully better manage our natural resources, and in particular, our forestry resources around the world? Mm -hmm. Could you maybe, because Earth Observation Tech Consortium, very large words, could, can you maybe give an example of a project that you do that would be very typically planet to do? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's a lot of jargon and acronyms in this industry. So, you know, we are very fortunate that we have had Earth observing satellites for decades to understand how the Earth is changing and monitoring that change. What Planet has really tried to do is make those data sets higher spatial resolution as well as higher frequency, because we think the pace and scale of the information we have has to match the pace and the scale of the change on the ground. So one area that we spend a lot of time, for example, is working to get this data set into deforestation monitoring systems because at higher spatial and temporal resolutions, you can detect forest degradation sooner, you can detect roads going in sooner, and you can take more action to actually manage and help solve the problem. And so one example I would highlight we have worked with the government of Norway, with Norway's International Climate and Forest Initiative, to bring this data into the forest monitoring systems across the tropics, across these national forest monitoring systems that are in place. 
Mm-hmm. Just one final follow-up question before we move on to someone else. I I just like to be really sure that I understand you correctly. When you say higher resolution, higher temporal, what you mean is better imagery that we consume much more into and much more frequent imagery, right? Yes, that's exactly right. So typically we have had satellite data that might be somewhere around 30 meters per pixel and a revisit of every two to three weeks, depending on where you are on the Earth. Planet system images everywhere every day at about three and a half meters per pixel. And we complement that with very high resolution, 50 centimeter per pixel tasking. Um, So you can see where this Mm -hmm. really starts to complement some of the traditional data sources that we've had. Very interesting. Asker, now we'll move to you uh, because now we know what Planet does. We also know how on a very broad level they tie to FSC. And I'd like to tie that then into your role as a climate and ecosystem services officer. And I think the common denominator here is data on forests and what can we do with that kind of data that we have. Can you give us an insight into why is it important that we get this kind of data and what is it that we want? Very good question, Laura. For me, as a climate and ecosystem service uh, chief officer of FSC and our climate program as such, our, let's say, objective is to make sure we can deliver value as concerns climate and, and ecosystem service impacts to our uh, certificate and license holders uh, through the usual connection between a forest manager or supply chain and a buyer or user of that product. So that's the bigger picture. But until now, or until recently, then knowing that a forest was well managed was enough for you to to make various statements and claims down the supply chain on you taking responsibility or, or making sure that all laws were respected and you went beyond and so on. But in this age of data, but also in the age of greenwashing, we need to go further than that. We need to be able to deliver data that quantifies what are the actual impacts in the forest of the stewardship applied by the forest manager, not only for the use of the forest manager, but for anyone downstream in that process, in that along that supply chain, they need to have access to those same data. But what are those data? Well, it's not data on logging intensity. It's not data on or this or that production regime. It's data on carbon stock carbon fluxes, it's data on diversity of species and how they're managed. It might be data on a specific species, like in Canada, then data on anything that has to do with caribou is often key. And while in Gabon, it might be data on mandrills or other animals. So it's that impact data. That's the data on what's the state and trend on carbon and biodiversity in forests and over time also on on social aspects as well. So it's all about quantification compared to uh, qualitative information previously, which is what we've provided for 30 years. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you are actually wanting to move to a level where you can tie for a specific value chain, for a specific product, tie that down to where does it actually come from and an exact data from that forest. Am I correct in understanding that? Exactly. Traceability is is a key part of it that obviously specific data for specific inventories of impacts, which is what the downstream companies need for their science-based target initiative inventory or for their net zero target, that has to be specific to the forest from where they've uh, sourced their forest product. Mm -hmm. It can be, in some cases, average and, and generalized data, but that's not as good because it won't show And that's the key to the whole thing. It won't show a quantified impact of actual management practices in that specific forest unless you have data from that specific forest. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to tie it down to, well, in, in fact, even a specific forest management unit. So that's the kind of level of detail that you want to go down to. It's the forest management unit, or is it even down to the individual tree? No, it doesn't have to be the individual tree. It's usually the forest management unit, which is also the unit that is certified. And if you apply the FSC ecosystem service procedure, that's also the unit that generates a claim, an ecosystem service claim. And a claim is basically a statement on the state and trend of carbon or biodiversity within that unit. 
So it all ties up nicely. And this goes back then to the resolution that Tara mentioned uh, previously. How fine-grained can we monitor the development, the state and trend of uh, various stocks and foxes uh, in, in the specific forest? So what you're actually saying, it sounds like to me, is that what you're doing right now is focused primarily on ecosystem services certification solely. Whereas if we look at can we get forest management data and tie it to a final forest product, that's not the space that we're in right now. Am I correct? Yes, but <laughs> the impact data for that forest, be it climate and ecosystem services or wider than that, whatever, there are then allocation mechanisms and principles for how you can allocate that to product. But the footprint of the product that comes from the forest will have many more components than the one from the forest. Anything to do with the transport along the supply chain processing and all of that. And we mm -hmm. cannot, with this system, with planet data or with any other data, provide that service. So the data that we can provide and the claim or the credit specific to a certificate, specific to a forest management unit, can serve as data input into anyone wanting to do an LCA or any mm -hmm. other sort of calculation of the footprint of a specific product. But it is not the footprint of the product. It's a component of that. Mm -hmm. Tara, is this even possible, this dream that Asker has? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And the exciting thing is I think a lot of it is possible today and we're getting even better at the fuller vision here and it will certainly be possible tomorrow. So as as Asker just mentioned, the spatial resolution point we touched on previously. So this idea that we can go from, you know, wall to wall coverage at 30 meter to 10 meter to now less than five meters per pixel. That's really critical when you think about stand-level dynamics like Asker is describing. It's really critical when you think of canopy-level dynamics, which in turn really informs biomass and carbon accounting. So a lot of these things, you know, they are increasingly feasible today. You can understand stand-level dynamics. You can extract field-level boundaries. I think what I'm really excited about is we are increasingly seeing a lot of people combine different data sets to get to some of these derivative carbon and biodiversity insights that Asker is mentioning. And that is becoming more feasible and more cost-effective than ever before. And so in the carbon space, for example, Planet recently announced our acquisition of Salo Sciences. This is a small climate technology company that can combine our data set with other data sets like LIDAR, which is a 3D imaging to get at some of those carbon stock dynamics that Asker is mentioning. So that is increasingly feasible today. Um, looking forward, we are launching our first hyperspectral satellite mission very soon. And I think time will only tell, like we can't even begin to imagine the implications of that for biodiversity measurement, the things that scientists will be able to do with that data when it comes to applications like species mapping. In a few months, even more of these things that Asker is talking about will not only be feasible, but cost-effective to do. So first and foremost, you have to explain to me what hyperspectral means <laughs> in terms of satellite imagery, because I don't know. But my, I have a, a different follow-up question for you as well, is because what we're talking about is satellite imagery. And what Asker is talking about is also animal monitoring, like caribou, and, and you were talking about monkeys, I think, in Gabong as well. Those would live under the canopy. How can you how can you monitor those from space? Yeah, it's a really good question. You can basically find signatures of activities that are correlated to certain things. So for example, you can track grazing herds or animals because that's going to have an impact on the vegetation that they graze. And you can track the changes in that vegetation cover from satellite. Again, as machine learning models get better, you can train models to look for those signatures of change and classify where they're happening. On the hyperspectral comment, back to the jargon of the industry, I apologize. <laughs> um, but we've talked a little bit about spatial resolution of data, right? So how close up is the pixel? There's the temporal aspect. How frequently can it revisit? And then there's the spectral resolution. So your human eye sees three spectral bands, red, green, and blue. Currently, our satellites can also see the near-infrared and the red edge. Those bands can detect chlorophyll. So it's really great for vegetation mapping 
some of the applications that Asker is describing. A hyperspectral satellite will be able to see hundreds of those spectral bands. Hmm. I'm trying to wrap my head around what you're saying there. <laughs> it's, it's a bit, it's, I, well, I warrant that I'm on the edge of, of my knowledge field here. But let me quickly jump to you, William, instead. First and foremost, can you just explain to me what your role is at Planet? Because I'm not sure that all of us know what a customer success manager focused on commercial forestry does. I don't. Can you explain to me, what is it that you do? See, I am uh, the customer success manager at Planet focused on our strategic commercial forestry accounts. And really what that means is that I'm tasked with helping the customers achieve the most value they can after they've, you know, been enwrapped into the Planet ecosystem. Uh, They've got their products and services and starting to work on maybe the specific use cases or problems that Planet has been tasked with helping them solve. Uh, So that can be a number of different things, validating their use cases, doing feasibility studies for a new satellite-based projects, strategic road mapping, simple things like product training, technical enablement, which basically just means working with them to get our images and data into their hands in the most efficient form possible for the customer, but also just generally acting as a, as a link between the customer and all aspects of, of the planet ecosystem. I mean, we had such an extensive education and research arm Terra's force and land use program has been in development for sort of on a hockey stick level for the past few years. And so there's a whole host of, of data and history that maybe doesn't get uh, conveyed right off the bat uh, when you're looking at a planet product. And once you're in the ecosystem, there's there's so much more to be gained there in value. So I work as, as the link in between. So you're sort of the guide between what you hear the customer want and what you guys can do internally. That's right. Yeah. And I think in this conversation and, and where we fit in innovative technologies in the forestry space, you know, we start at, at theory to research, to pilot, to application. And, and I live in the application side. Like I live in the, uh, you know, we're, we're the last to touch everything cool. But once we do touch it, then it becomes really exciting, you know, and the sort of scalable side of things. You get to see the change uh, blown out at a larger level. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're actually the perfect guide to sort of uh, look into what is the possibilities of all of these big thinkings that Tara and, and Asker have been talking about so far. Could you maybe then give us a few words to what kind of change would it bring to the world if their vision of of uh, this much increased data level from forest directly to forest products, what would that change in the world if we had that? Yeah, I mean, it it's very much comes down to this level of data transparency, frequency, and availability and accessibility is unprecedented. And so in terms of change, it, it opens the door for so many more operators within the vertical to have access to affecting change, to attaining certification at a sustainability level that, that may have been you know previously out of the running if they weren't to you know, multinational commercial forestry company with uh, the resources to do so. It's this almost democratization and globalization of remote sensing and earth observation data for sustainability that uh, is now becoming much more regular. Wasn't even in the conversation 10 years ago for a maybe a mid-sized commercial forestry operator, um, but now is very much on the table. Mm-hmm. Could you perhaps put a few more tangible words to that? So what is it more tangibly that we would be able to do that we aren't able to do today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, previously, when you talk about attaining FSC certification, the guidelines and, and standards set by the FSC are very clear, uh, but it's very cost prohibitive to actually go through the certification process and time intensive. It, a lot of it involves a lot of surveying. You're pulling in third parties to actually come through and be the auditors for hitting all of the benchmarks and uh, requirements for depending on how far down the supply chain you want to go. When you're talking about remote sensing and the ease, you know, the access to, you know, at the base level, just visibility into property and understanding how maybe your operations are affecting change on a, you know, forest management unit to forest management unit level, you can do that with planet data, you know, at the five meter level on the daily viewer every day. We've got plenty of clients who Utilize it for harvest verification, for contractor management, for logging truck and log deck monitoring. Previously, you're saying, well, I can fly my property once every five years with a small little plane and get the high-res imagery that way. But you're not going to be able to apply that workflow to a certification process. And so you're able to convert what previously was an operational workflow. You know, I'm flying my property in order to determine what the harvest 
you know, boundaries may have been or changed due to some landslide or, or shift in water course, that affects your sustainability certification. And so if you're doing that operationally, but now you're also able to apply it to the sustainability certification level, you're able to essentially kill two birds with one stone. And we're starting to see this shift of people as they realize the data is is useful not only for verifying their own operations, but also for pushing forward environmental social governance goals and social responsibility reporting, becoming this double-edged sword, which people are starting to utilize. Mm-hmm. One of the major obstacles that we talked about repeatedly on this podcast is the fact that if you are especially in the global south and the tropic, the mapping of your forest is really workload intensive. The inventory mapping of which kind of species do you have, where are they, what age are they, etc. Would that be possible to do as well? Definitely. And, and we're seeing operators get into that space, particularly when you, you talk about these very like remote areas that are, are prohibitive to even get to, mm-hmm. but still are under ownership and are in you know growth and inventory planning on a 40-year scale and need monitoring through that, even though it may be very difficult to get to. The species management, we've seen some folks uh, based out of the U.S. who have operations in Brazil, and they're using PlanetScope's Daily Viewer to determine species differentiation there and drive their management decisions in Brazil remotely. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Scott has been waiting very patiently. You, like William and Tara, are a tech nerd, <laughs> but you said within the realm of FSC as our senior technology officer, how much of the data that Tara and William are talking about do we actually already have today? So tech geek is a little better than tech nerd, I think. FSC, like much of the timber industry globally, has been a paper-based operation. And so FSC is no different in a lot of ways. That said, we've made some big changes at FSC within the last five years with our digital infrastructure and even making requirements of certification that we have those spatial layers and the digital information that comes along with the certification process. We're getting much better at that, but do we have it to the level that, let's say, ASGAR needs it for doing carbon stock assessments and some of the rest of it? No, not really. Asger's been very creative in his team on how we're going about getting that data. And a lot of it is really learning to be a better partner in a lot of ways with our certificate holders that are out there. So I think that that's a whole new burgeoning piece of work that FSC is undertaking. It was an idea two years ago, but now it's a reality. It's actually a requirement, like I said, and we have the infrastructure to store it and do what we need with it. That's the very specific data relative to our certificate holders. A lot of the data that Tara and Will were mentioning that they can combine with their remote sensing information is actually openly available. These are all brand new data products, if you will. And we have so much more open source data that can be combined in that. So if you think about it, There's all these different data sources. So that's a huge volume of data. Everyone talks about big data. Well, big data is all around us all the time. So if you couple that huge volume of forest data, earth information, hyperspectral imagery, all those things, and then you couple it in with the computational power that we have right now and all the new AI models that are coming up, we're seeing a lot of that stuff start to happen you end up with new information products. So those new information products, I'm imagining, are going to fill some of the gaps that even FSC is not going to be able to fill when it comes to requesting information from their certificate holders. But all of this also sounds like, Scott, that it will require a lot of systems. I mean, one thing is that Planet is able to gather all of this data for us and do the computing, but how do we then move that data throughout a supply chain, do we have those systems in place? So we talked about computational power Mm -hmm. and this idea that it's going gangbusters. And a lot of that is due to the cloud. So FSC, because of our CIO, Michael Maroos, has put together a great infrastructure. And actually, I'm going to go here. And that is that this infrastructure that Michael's been working on, Michael and his team at, at FSC, is in place. And what makes it powerful is a lot of it's already cloud-based anyway. So our ability to store or consume data and information is like people would have spent, you know, millions and millions, millions of dollars a decade ago to get to where we're at. And we're not spending that much money 
anymore to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that we're actually at a point where we would be able to move that data along the supply chain? This is like a mud puddle that I could play in all day long. So I'm excited to talk about this. Part of what I'm trying to do is the products that ASGUR is selling with the carbon and biodiversity, those credits require a specific information product that is easily handed out, right? So when you talk about along the supply chain, I'm imagining you're referring more to a chain of custody sort of certificate or something like that. So how are we tracking this chair mm -hmm. from Ikea all the way back to a forest stand in Romania or something like that? So part of what FSE is working mm -hmm. on, and you know this from past conversations, is the blockchain infrastructure that will allow us to do that. The trick with all of this data, I mean, Will and Tara and Asger and I are all excited about the data, the information products, all these pieces that come out of it. And a lot of what we're doing will have an information product that is discrete and separate from the forest owner. That's cool. There's all kinds mm -hmm. of cool stuff around that. But when we talk about chain of custody, it gets very proprietary. So what we're trying to do with the blockchain infrastructure, again, that Michael has put in place, is allow those trading bits of information, of data, not information, of data along the supply chain, but shielding the proprietary information down the, this mm -hmm. uh, supply chain. Is that something that we're working on alongside of what Asker is working on? Absolutely. And the, the, the cool part of this is a lot of the imagery, when we're talking about sensitive supply chains and the ability to monitor what's going on, I read somewhere that in North America alone, there are several billion dollars worth of logs that are lost, stolen, lost, from cut the tree until it makes it to the end buyer out there. And that's in North America. If you think about that, and then you think about the infrastructure that Planet has in place and its potential capabilities to start seeing activity at mills around areas, maybe new roads being built or truck traffic that shouldn't be on truck traffic areas. Planet actually has the ability to monitor supply chains for timber theft, for log theft, in North America. Mm -hmm. Also sounds a bit big brothery if you're concerned about that kind of thing. Well, you can go out on Google Earth right now and look at what your neighbor's doing in their backyard. And if you think it's not happening at a commercial level, one of my customers back when I worked at Esri was using imagery to essentially monitor harvests of their competitors hmm. so they could do a market timing wood flow. So it's happening. I was just going to say, Loa, I think your questions on supply chain data, they're very timely and important. And I think it's important not just for timber, right? It's important for sustainable supply chains across commodities. And what we've been talking about in this conversation so far is largely geospatial data and how do we measure environmental services and environmental phenomenon. But there's this whole other world around supply chain data and many people are calling it asset level data. So who sources from where? I think it's going to be so critical in the next couple of years and I think it's already starting to happen. We need geospatial insights and asset level data sets to talk to each other. And that can happen when you have the geospatial insights at the right resolutions, right? Like if you can, as Scott is saying, if you can detect some of the mill activity or the field level sourcing boundaries, then suddenly, you know, you can start to better understand these supply chains. You can bring a lot more transparency. You can arguably bring more benefits to the smallholder producers that today, you know, can be lost in that supply chain, unfortunately. So I think that your question is on point and there are a lot of people, even in totally different fields, thinking about asset level data sets, which mm -hmm. I think is really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I guess, and Asker, maybe this one goes out to you because I, I guess this will also be even more important, especially when you look at the Euro region and all of the European legislation coming up. First of all, you have to prove <laughs> where you're 
timber products are coming from or everything that really that's a forest risk commodity but also in terms of being able to do marketing claims on your products etc yes absolutely there is a number of eu legislative pieces or either in place or coming up at the eu deforestation regulation uh, but also the carbon border adjustment tax which will also entail that companies need to have data on, on the carbon content of the product. But also, as I mentioned before, and which I think is to, equally important, if not more important, a short-term driver of this, and that's uh, the Science Best Target Initiative and, and similar net zero target setting standards for companies, because they require somewhat the same information as well for whatever supply chain you have, that you know the, the place of origin, what we call a chain of custody, basically, and that you have data on that, but also to some extent on all the emission sources throughout the supply chain of that forest product. And that's going to be a huge challenge for uh, many companies from IKEA to small niche producers of, let's say, uh, wooden furniture. Mm-hmm. And is this something that we're working in on helping them solve? Very much. Mm-hmm. Um, the the ecosystem service procedure, which is currently being revised, is being revised in a way that it can serve exactly that purpose. Obviously, the, the procedure is not a, a, a data provisioning tool. It's a standard for how to validate those data mm-hmm. and to set a frame for what you can say, what kind of statements you can make based on the type of data uh, that you have and how it's been validated. Yes, we're making it possible to make so, such statements, but we're not the ones doing the uh, the data gathering. Mm-hmm. When we are revising the ecosystem services procedure, are we then looking at, well, what is these different standards that are in place that are becoming industry standards? What kind of data fields are they requiring and making sure that that's part of the ecosystem services that it's specified that they have to adhere to these different data fields? Yes. What we do is that we currently have chosen an approach where we say that's what we set as the bar. And then we require that you use that, that you follow that, that you're consistent and compliant with that or any other similar initiative that has the same level of quality. And then in the technical working group or under the revision, there's then a quite elaborate discussion on what does it take to be at equal level in a way to try to future-proof the, the, uh, the procedure and say, we know more initiatives will come up. There are already some standards uh, in the making, but currently in our best assessment, the, the SPGI is combined with greenhouse gas protocol is the top tier within this space. But if more comes up, then obviously the procedure should also be able to support that. And then a follow-up question, I think, to you, Scott, because when you said earlier that Asker has been very innovative in his approach, was it this that you were pointing to, that it sounds like Asker is not only revising the ecosystem services procedure to adhere to these different demands, these different standards that are coming up, both from voluntary standard sets and from regulation coming up, so not only making sure that our normative framework caters for that, but also at the same time finding a tech partner and working with you tech geeks was that the term term that you were using to make sure that we actually also have a platform in place or a tech partner in place that can actually cater for the data needs was that your point when you said it was innovative partner it's tech partners because and this is one of my planks at fsc which is that when you look at the volume of data that is going to be required to do what we're talking about here, and you look at the computational power, and you look at all of the different technologies, all of the remote sensing products, all of the hyperspectral imagery that we were talking about earlier, you just know we at FSC just simply can't do it alone. So what my big focus is, honestly, is engaging people like Tara and Will to come help us in this journey and help us identify the data sets that they can provide and maybe data sets that we haven't even thought about yet. And so it's this an iterative process. All technology is that way and it's gonna keep iterating and Asger and his team are doing a wonderful job at that. Mm-hmm. Well, if I can then turn to you because you're working with a lot of different commercial partners, is this something that you're seeing other organizations work on as well? Or is this something that FSC is spearheading? Or is there somebody out there that we could actually just copy paste from? I think we're seeing a lot of people asking for this. And this is becoming much more, you know, of a, of a hot button topic maybe over the past three to five years. But but now you are seeing actual deliverables come out of this, you know, research pilot stage 
and, and getting ready to like head into mainstream application. So, you know, I think Tara has been beating this drum at Planet uh, since she joined and, and providing a great jumping off point for, you know, looking at what that solution is. And Scott and Asger, you know, from the certification side, it's sort of like everyone converging at this one point. Commercially, everyone's asking for it. You know, I do see FSC as, as spearheading this on their side and as Planet approaching it from sort of an innovative perspective, but on our side, I mean, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Tara and I get curious, what is that drum that you've been beating more specifically? What is it that you dream about here? Yeah, I mean, I, I said in the beginning that I think there's a bit of a mantra at Planet and it's that you cannot fix what you cannot see. And I think we truly believe that's at the root of many of our sustainability and climate crises. I think, unfortunately, that is certainly at the root of deforestation and the unsustainable management of the world's forests, right? Like we all learn in the second grade that trees take in CO2, they store the seed, they give off the O2, like they do all these valuable things, but we haven't had the tools that we need to actually measure, let alone value those services. And so the result is that we are incentivized not to manage those ecosystems well. And so I think if we get better at measuring these things, and if we can apply those measurements into practical management applications, like what FSC has developed, then suddenly you're going to see a different outcome, right? There's the old saying, what gets measured gets managed. Suddenly, we are going to be able to measure those things that we, for a long time, have inherently known are there and matter, but we, we haven't had the technological capacity to actually understand them. Mm-hmm. And Asker, can I move over to you? Because now that we are able to measure these things that we haven't been able to measure in the same effective way before, what is it that it does? How does that help you in your work with ecosystem services on a quite tangible level? Basically, it allows us, it will allow us to expand our value proposition to certificate and license holders. That's the end of the day. Currently, they get a document that states that the forest product came from a forest that was managed in accordance with our standards, which is good, mm-hmm. which is necessary, which has been important to turn the tide in the market. But in the future, they need that plus data. They need to have quantified what is the state, as I said, state and trend of whatever ecosystem service impact we, we may want to try to measure and monitor in that specific forest. They need that for their annual report on their climate and biodiversity impact. So we are adding more to our value proposition, and I think that's needed in the market. Mm-hmm. And I guess they would need it for a marketing purpose as well, right? Yes. The trademark licenses that we currently have and the promotional licenses regulate what you can say based on a FM certification and a CUC certification. In a similar vein, down the line, we will start to then help, but also regulate and open up for many new sorts of statements on net zero or ecosystem impacts. This or that company, this or that certificate or claim or license holder can make, allowing them to communicate and brand themselves and build brand value based on on the responsibility they're taking and the progress that they are ensuring throughout their supply chain on impacts. And most importantly, they need to have basically proof they are not greenwashing Mm -hmm. because that's the state of affairs in in communicating right now as a company on on your sustainability. That is that all sorts of communication and, and branding and statements are made, but very few can prove the data to support it to be able to do that. The data needs to be produced, and that's where Planet and a range of various technologies comes in. So why do we have to go to the specific forest areas to be able to do that? Couldn't we just work on average level or country level or research data, etc.? There will be a transition period where some of the data, some of the factors used in calculating whatever values for a specific forest will be average or national level. In the IPCC system, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which is where I come from, countries have also been allowed to use what we call Tier 2 level data, which are country-specific default factors for a time. But over time, they need to be able to report in the UN system specific to the forest. That is, for the benefit of the very forest manager himself, to be able to prove that the action I'm taking is this or that good the improvements I make to my forest management practices result in this or that quantified and documented and validated 
uh, improvement in the state of the ecosystem in that forest. If you use uh, general data and you use average data, you cannot prove the impact that you've had specifically on your land. Mm -hmm. And that basically makes it difficult for you as a forest manager, but also anyone buying the, the products from that land to differentiate themselves in the market based on their sustainability credentials. And that's what we want to allow, right? That's why FSC is here. Mm -hmm. So making FSC and the impact that we have actual data driven. I like it. Yes. So I always like to end these podcasts on allowing everyone to dream big and look ahead into the future and do a little bit of blue sky thinking. So I'm going to ask all three of you to just dream big for a while here and, and say, well, if we look three years ahead, for example, what is it that we can do then? And, and why is it so important that we get there? Will, if I start with you. You give me the soapbox first. Love it. Uh, there's this sort of prevailing thought, maybe, you know, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And here, I think that's absolutely incorrect. You still have harvest data and depletion and log accounting that's coming in on carbon triplicate paper and is data is delayed by two, three weeks, up to a month before it makes it into a siloed system and is never heard from again, except for by those who, uh, you know, are operating on the property and maybe, you know, reporting to a regulatory agency. During that three week time period, you've got mountains of data being collected by planet satellites over the exact same spot. And my blue sky dream is that you have a satellite going over a harvest unit that's been recently collected and it's automatically feeding you back with, here's how much volume in millions of board feet was removed from this area based on trees per acre measurements that were derived from previous satellite flyovers combined with above ground biomass that was removed or grown in afforestation areas or reforestation replanting plots uh, conducted by the same landowner. The potential is is insane and we're just starting to like crest that hill and, and look at some of those solutions. And so for me to see that fully automated and deliverable and, and to close that gap of a real-time data collection to actually analytics insights and, and long-term planning is something that's really exciting to me. Mm -hmm. What is it that you want to unlock for them? And for whom, actually? Think about the sort of long-term production and growth modeling you'd be able to do. Right now, you've got decades worth of timber cruising data for a landowner that maybe operates in Northern California. And they're out there every day with foresters are out measuring trees and taking plots. And it's very labor-intensive and time-intensive. And there's safety issues and concerns. One satellite fly over it, and you've solved that problem, right? And so you, you have massive efficiencies of cost reduction, but also a rapid pull of that data that moves into a, a format that's adjustable. You can build new models. It's not uh, analog and stored on paper. I mean, these are very like analog to digital conversions that we're talking about, but uh, it's a big jump for some, but it's absolutely crucial in terms of long-term growth planning, understanding ecosystem impacts on a decade-by-decade -decade basis, not just on a on a day-to-day -day basis. The scope broadens and gets bigger the more you look at it, so it's exciting. It is exciting. Tara, what do you dream about? Similar in the practical applications theme, I think my hope for three years from now, I honestly believe we will be there. I hope the sort of data analytics we've been discussing today about environmental services and environmental risks, I hope those are just running boringly in the background of every economic decision. The way that so many standard accounting practices happen today that are so mundane, we don't even pay any attention to them. But, you know, whether that's a consumer deciding what to buy at the market and that, you know, FSC certification or other certification carries the weight of that, whether it is an asset manager looking at a portfolio of companies or an index fund and understanding which ones are not managing land or other risks in their supply chains. I just hope that this is as boring as any other accounting practice that, you know, we with this geospatial insights and data inform the way we think about any other risk and opportunity as we allocate capital and, you know, vote with our dollar. Mm -hmm. And hopefully then also institute change in behavior. Exactly. And reward, you know, as Asker said, those that are stewarding our resource as well. Mm -hmm. Scott, when is your big dream? Even in three years, I think we're going to see more new technology, more new models that we'll be able to leverage to do some of this stuff. But I, I want to go back to 
Terra's early statement about planet and one of their mantras, which is we can't fix what we can't see. I would also say we can't fix what we can't measure. We can't fix what we can't map. And so when I think about three years from now, what I hope to happen is I think with some of the technologies that we're working on right now with great partners like Planet, I just feel like there's so much more data that's going to come in that will help us with that gap with impact data. How do we know forest certification is making a difference? How do we prove that? And I think that in three years, we're actually going to have a pretty good cadre of that impact data starting to form. The other thing in three years that I hope happens, that I see happening, is that the bar for entry into forest certification will start to lower and allow the small forest owners to leverage these technologies to get involved. One of my big pets in all of the work I do is stopping the conversion of small private holders, small private landowners from forestry to housing developments, to cattle farms, to all the rest. We need to be helping those smallholders, those small forests, do what they are doing with their forest and getting the highest value for it. And I think that a lot of these new technologies will help them by lowering the bar for entry for forest certification. So if we can get a leap on those two things in three years, uh, I, I can retire. So (laughs) (laughs) we don't want you to retire, but uh, please do fix it within three years. Asker, you got the final word. What do you dream of in three years? Do you want to retire too? (laughs) Oh, yes. But I said that some time back already that when we've generated 1 million claims, existing service claims, then I'm going to retire myself to a tropical island. So um, I'll start from a a nature tech geek. I don't remember his name that I I read some. some wording of his, and he said, nature has always produced data. We've just not been able to collect them and use them. So with the proliferation, as Scott also said, of more and more technologies and diminishing marginal cost of sensors, we can just continue to censor and censor and monitor and monitoring more and more of these data. Sounds, eDNA, water flows, growth data, anything in the forest, basically, there'll be a sensor for in not so many years. And that'll create a massive, unimaginable flow of data. And then you might think, well, that cannot be handled. But yes, it can. I mean, AI technology combined with machine learning and some of those, it can be handled. It's a question of converging these technologies. And that's still a few years ahead. But as I understand it, most of the building blocks for doing that is there but we need to put them together. So my dream is that we, if you see, get on the train in time to build the infrastructure to do that. Because to me, that's the key. That's the computational power. Is that something we can and will build? And we cannot build it alone. So we need to build it with partners. And that's where we come back to Scott's Tech Consortium, where we have Planet and, and many other good partners with us to help us support that. And that leads me to, to basically the vision beyond that, Because just imagine if we were a certification scheme in the midst of that continuous data flow that was all the time monitored, calculated, and then tie that to smart contract technology. If you made our certificates based on smart contracts, then you would have a certificate offered at the very point in time that a forest manager, the sensors on his land would produce data beyond a pre-agreed or preset threshold, which would be in our normative framework, then he would have, with a blockchain associated to it, his certificate real time. And if those data at any point in time dropped below the value, we would revoke or temporarily block that certificate or that claim. It would run almost automatically. It could. And that's the vision that I think we need to get behind in FSE, that producing data on a piece of paper and let someone travel there to monitor two or three plots and ask some questions and go back, that was necessary. That was the way to do it, but it's not the future. So if we get on that train in time, and that's what we need to get in the next two or three years, then um, I see FSE transforming the world and supply chains that you spoke about previously. That's it. 
Thank you to Tara, William, Scott, and Asker for making me a bit wiser on impact data from Forrest, both on how important it is, how important it will be, how complex it will be to get there, and whether we're on track to getting it right. Let's hope that their big dreams do come true. That William's dream of satellite imagery as an automated data driver will make decisions and impact monitoring much more automated in forest management and other land use managements around the globe in just a few years. Let's also hope that Terra's dream come true, that this monitoring of impact of our ecosystem just becomes an integrated accounting in our decision-making processes, just as integrated as financial accounting is, and that it will truly move the needle on shifting behavior towards a more sustainable and climate actionable one. And let's hope Scott's dream come true as well that we will succeed in activating all of these new data possibilities to ensure that many more forest owners around the globe join the FSC system. Simply because we've removed the barriers for certifications with smarter systems that makes it easier to join the movement. And finally, I really love Aska's dreams of combining smart contracting with constant data monitoring. In that world, FSC certificates would be real-time monitored, impact data connected into the individual forest areas where it comes from, and invoking and revoking certificates would be based on real-time monitoring of threshold indicators. That is a world where the impact of forest certifications and FSC would be unquestionable and also very actionable. So let's hope that all of the work from the tech consortium, from Asher and Scott and Tara and Will, will pay off and that we in three years are on track to reaching that big hairy goal. Until then, I'll also settle for impact data tied to specific forest areas and ensuring systems that makes it much easier for our certificate holders to adhere to voluntary ESG standards as well to all of the legislation coming up. But from the conversation today, it sounds like I can have both. And if that's not something to celebrate, I don't know what is. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes where we dive into other innovations within FSC and the world of certification and sustainable forest management. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I am Laura Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.